Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. Beginning in verse 2 from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior is a battle in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of God for the people of God this Christmas Eve morning. It's when we enter this Christmas season, we will begin to sing many a a song that is familiar and nostalgic to us. Uh, We just concluded our time by singing Silent Night. We will do that again when we return tonight for our candlelight service. But other songs that come to mind, like Joy to the World, amongst others, uh, wouldn't be Christmas if we didn't sing those. It wouldn't be Christmas if we also did not sing that familiar hymn, What Child Is This? It's one that I personally look forward to, and it's one that I find particularly beautiful. If you're not familiar with it, the tune to which it is sung is called Green Sleeves. And What Child Is This? It was written in England at about the time of the 16th century. But it wasn't until 1865, while this nation was in the midst or the the final chapter of our civil war, that an English poet wrote a poem called Manger's Throne, Manger's Throne. And it's that poem's words which are used for the hymn, What Child Is This? And I want to read from the original poem that's uh, penned by a, a poet named William Chatterton Dix, who writes this in 1865. Have it overhead be familiar to you, I suspect, at least at the start. He says, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is fleeting. Now, that part we're very familiar with because that is part of the hymn that you and I will sing and have sung many an occasion when we gather during Christmas seasons in this church. And yet, interestingly, not all the words from Dix's poem were incorporated into, into the hymn. And what I want to read for you now is the part that was not included in the hymn. And I tell you, I can't be sure why it's not included, 
Maybe it's the, the hymn editor just decided that what he goes on to write just wasn't festive enough for Christmas. But I'll tell you, it speaks to the truth of the cross. Mix goes on to say, Male spear shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh, come peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high, the virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. And when Dix wrote this poem, he tried to imagine what it would be like for people 2,000 years ago who were passing by, looking at that babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and wondering perplexingly, asking themselves the question, who is this? What child is this? And that's, my friends, the debate of the ages, is it not? Because everybody on this planet must at some time answer the question, at some time face the question, who was that baby born in Bethlehem? And I'll tell you, we each must answer for ourselves the question of just who is Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you, everybody out there beyond these walls has an answer. You may not know this, but Muslims recognize Jesus. In fact, he's known as Isa bin uh, Ibn Mary. And they even believe that, that Jesus was born of a virgin. But they deny the fact that he was God in the flesh. And of course, they go on to deny the fact that he was crucified or that he resurrected. Our Jewish friends, they recognize Jesus as a great prophet, a, a great teacher. They'll even go so far as calling him a great religious reformer. But they deny the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. They deny the fact that he was God's Messiah. The Hindus recognize Jesus and they acknowledge him as one of their Krishni, who has reached a perfect God consciousness, as they call it. The Buddhists, they recognize Jesus too. But everyone must answer that question who is this child? Every last one of us. And in pursuing an answer to this question, I think the best way to go about answering it is to look in the Word of God to seek an answer. And the interesting thing about the Bible is that that makes it unique from all the other scriptures of world religion is that it is the Bible alone that contains prophecy, or if you will, future telling. Parts of the Bible were written hundreds of years before those very things were prophesied or spoken of and fulfilled. For instance, this morning I've read for you words from the prophet Isaiah who wrote 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In other words, the Bible explained Christmas 700 years before anyone else ever experienced it. And I want us to see this morning how the Bible answers the question, who is this child? So on this Christmas Eve, I'm going to share with you just a little bit about how the Bible goes about answering it. And I'm going to present to you six pictures or six answers that goes about our aim this morning, which is answering it, the question, who is this child? Who is he? We're going to work through six answers. 
Short's answer that we find in our text this morning is that this child is the child who brings light into darkness. And if you still have your Bibles open, you see in verse 2 that the prophet Isaiah declares that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And all throughout the Bible, there's an interplay between darkness and light, where darkness represents sin and unrighteousness. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, light represents righteousness and holiness. And in the world, the world was in darkness, and Jesus came into a dark world to be the light. In fact, he said, I am the light of the world. And that's, that's part of the reason why we even celebrate Christmas, that Jesus is the light of the world. There was a uh, story told about a, a scholar and a sailor who were once traveling together on a boat. And during the journey, the scholar decides he's going to ask, he's going to talk up the sailor, he's going to ask the sailor some questions. And the questions that he asked the sailor were these. The scholar asks, do you know philosophy? The sailor says, no. Do you know psychology? The sailor says, nope. Well, what about geology? No, sir. And then the scholar says, I suppose you don't know accountancy, do you? Nope. Not at all, says the sailor. So the scholar concludes and he tells the sailor, well, you know, life must be pretty boring for you then. And no sooner had he finished making that conclusion than a storm erupts on the seas and the waves begin beating furiously against the boat. And the scholar becomes afraid. And the sailor decides, I'm going to return this guy with some favor and ask him some questions right now. And so the sailor asks the scholar, he says, sir, do you know how to swim? And the scholar says, no, I don't. The sailor says, well, that's too bad. And the sailor goes on to ask, well, do you know God? The scholar says, no, I don't. And the sailor says, well, that's even worse for you. It's even worse because then you have no hope after death. And then suddenly the sailor brings out a lamp and he lifts it up and he asks the scholar, do you believe that this can save you? Do you believe that this light can save you? And the, so the sailor began to wave the lamp and he was sending a signal into the darkness to the surrounding boats for help. And eventually the sailor and the scholar were saved. What was it that saved them? It was the light that saved them. It is Jesus who declared about himself, I am the light of the world. And my friends, we need to acknowledge at the outset here that there is no human wisdom, nor is there any human knowledge that can save you. You can't get enough between your ears to suddenly become redeemed by God. It's only Jesus Christ who can save. And this child represents the entrance of light that breaks into the darkness of the world. And with the coming of light, there's a coming of hope. That's what Jesus brought. He came into a world that was darkened by sin and death. He brought light. Second answer to our question this morning is that this child is the one who rules the world. That's what the prophet's communicating in verse 6, where God led Isaiah to write, the government shall be upon his shoulders. That means that Jesus Christ is in charge. And if you want to think about it, everything's on his shoulders because he bears everything in the universe to include the governments of this world. 
My friends, it means that Jesus Christ is Lord and King of all. Now, it's kind of interesting that at the beginning of his earthly life, that's the question that the wise men asked. They said, where is he born King of the Jews? And then at the day that he was crucified, that's the same question that Pilate asked, wasn't it? He asked him, are you a king? In fact, upon his crucifixion, there was a sign that they put above Jesus' head when they crucified him that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And you know how Jesus answered Pilate? He says, I am. I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. See, Jesus is, is Lord and King over a spiritual kingdom. And when you receive Christ's free gift of grace, he is enthroned as King of your life. And when he's enthroned, when you receive this gift, you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And there will be a time in the future when he will rule and reign on this earth. It just hasn't happened yet. Think about the lyrics to that other other hymn that we we can't uh, not have Christmas and not sing, and that's Joy to the World. Remember that song? How does it go? It says, he rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Well, we wonder right now, is that happening? And when our representatives and our senators gather together in D.C. and they face a tough decision, do they stop, all of them, and do they say to each other, you know, the the government's upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ, Why don't we get on our knees right now and ask Jesus what he wants us to do? Does that happen? All right, take the European Union for that matter. When they're facing an important vote, do they say, you know, this government's upon the shoulder of Jesus Christ. Let's get on our knees, let's pray together, and let's ask Jesus what he wants done in this continent. Does that happen? I wish it did, buddy. That doesn't happen. But the Bible teaches that one day, indeed, that will be the case. When Jesus returns, the Bible teaches he will set up an earthly kingdom on this planet. And then every last human being is going to look to him. So he rules. With God, there is no past, there is no present, there is no future. It's all just right now for him. So if God says something's going to happen, it's as good as if it's happening right now. So Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He rules the world. He's also the child who mediates between God and man. You see again in verse 6 where Isaiah is led to write, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And if you've ever been to a therapist, you may think of a counselor as somebody who advises you or, or somebody who you share your problems with. And please be certain, Jesus is that kind of counselor. The Bible says you can cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. But the real word, counselor, here in this passage, it carries more of the idea that we would use of someone who's an advocate. Someone who's an advocate, like an attorney who's an advocate for your case. If you've ever had any kind of problem with somebody and there was an issue to be settled and maybe you needed to hire a counselor or you needed to hire a lawyer, you needed to hire a mediator to arbitrate and mediate between you and another party, that's what Jesus Christ is. Jesus is our advocate, and he's the only advocate, by the way, who's available to us to mediate between you and I and God. 
See, he qualifies for this because he's all God and all man. And people sometimes get this mixed up. Really badly, by the way. See, Jesus wasn't half God and half man, as if he was like two-faced or something, right? Where he's 51 thing, 50 another. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. And because of that, Jesus is the only one who could reach into heaven and take the hand of God. And Jesus is also the only one who could reach down and take the hand of sinful humanity and bring us together. He's the only mediator. Not Buddha, not Krishna, not Allah, none of that. Jesus. That's why Paul's led to, to write to his son in the faith, Timothy, where he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's Jesus alone and nobody else. So if you want to relate to God and you want to, to solve and settle this sin issue that you have with God, there's but one mediator, only one counselor, only one advocate. And his name is Jesus Christ. There's a fourth answer for us this morning. This child is God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. You see again in verse 6, his name shall be called Mighty God. In the Bible, there are several times in the Old Testament where, where God is referred to as God Almighty. And the Bible says that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God in the flesh. And the Bible says, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ when he was born in Bethlehem. And that's what makes Christmas so great. There was a store owner who was doing some last-minute late shopping for Christmas with his young son. And they ran into another store owner whom the father had been friends with for some time. The two of them, they exchanged their greetings and they spoke with each other about what they had each assessed to be a financially profitable season for their respective stores. And the small boy overhears his father telling his friend, you know, this has been the best Christmas ever. And after that, the store owners, they parted from company with one another and the father and son continued with their shopping. And yet the father looks upon the countenance of his son and sees that he's become very quiet. And so the father inquires about the son's silence, and the son replies, Dad, I heard you just tell Mr. Johnson that this was the best Christmas ever. And his dad says, yeah, son, I did. The economy's great, and the people are really spending. It's the best Christmas I've ever seen. And the son says, okay, Dad. It's just, it's just that I always thought that the first Christmas was the best one ever. See, isn't it amazing to think that God took on flesh at Bethlehem? It's amazing. God has always been, and yet Jesus, the Son who's always been, put on flesh. And that's a really difficult thing for you and I to comprehend. A lot of people struggle with this. There was a family that had a tradition to attend their church's Christmas Eve service. And everyone in the family kept that tradition, except for the, the father, except for the daddy in the family. And he would stay home, and he'd read the paper. And when the family returned home from church, they would all gather up together, go around the Christmas tree, and exchange their gifts. Now, I need you to know the father wasn't an evil man. He just couldn't believe in these so-called childish stories of God coming as a baby in a manger. Didn't buy it. 
And as the family left for church, he, he opened up the evening paper and he began to read by his fireplace. He just enjoyed it. And one particular night, one particular Christmas Eve, the family had gone and he begins to hear a tapping at his window. He came to discover that it was a bird flying against the glass of the window, just trying to get out of the snow, trying to get into the warmth of his home. And the man had compassion on the bird. And so he went outside. He went outside with the hope of just bringing that bird in. And as the man approached the bird, the, fl- the bird just flew against the window even harder. And pretty soon the bird flew into the bushes below the window and it was half frozen. And yet it was too afraid to be caught by this huge, scary man. And the more the man tried to reach for the bird, the more the bird flew frantically into the snow. The more the, the bird flew frantically into the thorns of the bush. And after just a few minutes in the cold and seeing the bird continue to injure itself, the man would yell out at the bird in frustration. He says, come on, bird. Can't you see that I'm just trying to help? And the man paused and he thought to himself, you know, bird, if you just understood, you wouldn't fly away. You wouldn't. If, if, only, if only I could become a bird. Only then I could get you to understand. And just then, as he came to that rationalization, the church bells rang, as they always do at the top of the hour. And the man really heard the bells this time. And when he heard those bells, he fell to his knees and he began to weep. He began to weep and so, God, I didn't understand. God, I didn't understand. Friends, we need to understand that God's Son came in human form, that we might understand from where you and I have come, for what reason we're separated from the Almighty, and how we can be restored to Him. Fifth answer, who is this child? It's the child who welcomes us into His family. Again in verse 6, where we find that His name shall be called Everlasting Father. Now, you and I know that father is a family name, and throughout the Bible, we're taught that God can be like a father to us. And by the way, that's another thing that makes our faith distinctive and unique from all other faiths in the world. The Bible is the only place in all of the religious literature that exists that says you can relate to God like a child relates to his father. Now, I'll tell you, I remember that I was teaching uh, Sunday school at the youth one Sunday. And I, I said something that, that taught me that I need to be very careful and I need to be more considerate with my words. I said something like this. I said something in that lesson. Just think about how much your dad loves you and know that God loves you that much more. Man, I thought I hit a home run that Sunday. Until I looked at this one girl, I could see that she started getting angry. And she came up to me right after the lesson ended. And she says, you know what you said? It doesn't apply to me. I hate my dad. He left my family. And there are some people that have a hard time relating to a positive image of God when it comes to the word father. And so I need you to know if you didn't have a dad or if you, you had a dad that wasn't good, it is a something incumbent upon you to try to overcome and to try to imagine the most perfect image of a father you could ever imagine 
and take that image and multiply it by at least a million. At least a million. At least. And that's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares for you. I I was thinking about this this week, and I, I recognize I have quite a bit of theological education, but a whole lot. But I can tell you that I learned more about God in five minutes of being a daddy than in all of my school training. When I first became a father and I looked at that little girl in a red sweater right now for the first time, I was overwhelmed with the greatest sense of love I have ever experienced. And at that moment, I would have done anything for her. As both of my girls grow up, I need you to know they have caused me lots of pain. They've kept me up at night. They've cost me a ton of money, and I'm like halfway through this, right? And they've done lots of things I do not like. And as a father, that's what God does too, isn't it? And I love my girls, and that's never going to change. Never will. That's how God loves you and me. And that's why the Bible says God is like a father. And one of the most powerful meetings of Christmas time is a family. God says, even if you don't have a great family, come on in. Come on in. Because this is your family. This is the family of God. And family is so important at Christmas time. Did you know that one of the first glimpses that we get of our God is in, in, in his word is that of a seeker? That of a seeker. Now hear me out on this, okay? See, immediately after the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden, the Bible says that, that God is walking through the garden and his presence absolutely terrified presence absolutely terrified Adam and Eve. They terrified them so badly that they ran and hid. They tried to cover their shame. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, But the Lord God called to man, to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? I tell you what, that lone question from the Lord tells me so much about him as my father. It tells me everything about him, in fact. See, you cannot read Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, and conclude that God is waiting to cast down lightning bolts from heaven for every misstep that you take. It's not that God. He's just not. No, a, a, a more right view of God is that he is like a broken-hearted father looking for a lost child. That's what God says to you this morning. He asks, where are you? Where are you? Do you know who this child is? He's the one through whom you can be reconciled to your father. He's the one through whom you can be made a child of God. This brings us to our last question, or the last answer, I'm sorry. The child, this is the child who brings peace to troubled hearts. You see this again in verse 6, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. What does it mean, Prince of Peace? What's the meaning of the angels that night when they went to the shepherds and said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Does that mean that we're all just going to live in peace? Have the, have the world, have world peace maybe, and, and there's just not going to be any more fighting or wars? Is that what it meant? Not really. 
I mean, we see in, that Jesus would go on in his life and he would say that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. I want to introduce you to another poet where earlier we heard from, from Dix. This, I want us to hear now from another poet named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. If you don't know about him, Longfellow had a wife whose name was Frances. Frances died from an accident in their home. That accident saw her using a candle that uh, caught her clothing on fire and killed her. You need to also know about Longfellow that he had a son who was critically wounded in battle during our civil war. So then when you hear this poem that Longfellow pens, you can imagine how when he sat down and began to write this poem, the emotional state that he found himself in. It's Longfellow who writes. Maybe you'll remember this from a few minutes ago. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You might also understand his bitterness when he wrote the next stanza. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I wonder, isn't that how some of us might feel right now? In the last month, we've seen two shootings at universities, one in Las Vegas, one just this week in Europe. Two major conflicts, one in the Middle East one in Eastern Europe, threats of new war in the South China Sea as China, what's his name, Chi is telling us that they're going to reclaim Taiwan. Korea launches an ICBM to make us know that they can hit us at any time. Where is this peace on earth? Where is it? There is no peace. But then somehow God brought him speaking of Longfellow, through that terrible time until he could write the final stanza. Longfellow writes, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. See, this peace on earth, this goodwill toward men, God wasn't necessarily talking about peace between two people, nor was God talking about peace toward or between two nations. He was talking about peace with Him. God says, I want to have peace with you. I want you, to, I want you to see my goodwill. I want you to see my favor. I want you to see my grace towards you. And my friends, the most important peace that you can receive, that you can have, that you can possess and obtain is the peace that you have when you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not a baby in a manger. It's a Savior. Christmas is about a Savior. I want us to finish by imagining for a moment and thinking in, in, about speaking about this child. We know that it is coming we know that at his death, we know that at his resurrection, the age that is to come has already dawned. 
And there are brief but fleeting moments where we can just for those seconds see glimmers of that age in our present. And my friends, there's good news. There there will be a day when, when daddies will take their daughters to zoos like I used to get to where there won't be a need for for a wall or a fence that will separate human beings from the lions or the tigers or the bears. No, the bears will just come right across and they'll talk about all the steps we need to take to prevent forest fires. The tigers will come and tell us about frosted flakes and how they're so great. Maybe not, okay. But there will be a day when we can approach even the most fear-striking beasts and just scratch them on the top of their heads. How is that? It's because of this child in whom Isaiah prophesied. Because of this child. It's because of this child that the word of God assures us that one day the lion will lie down with the lamb. That day will arrive when this child when this Prince of Peace finally bring, comes to, to bring the age that is to come in full. That day when the weapons of war are finally going to be shelved, when they're finally made obsolete, when they're beaten into, into, uh, into plows. In that day, disease will no longer wreck our bodies. God will bring to us on that day a new heaven and a new earth. For how is that? Because unto us this day a child is born. The child who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And when that day comes, nothing will be the same. The government in that age, it won't resemble the buffoonery that we see in our day. There won't be red and blue that seems like we can't ever get together for anything anymore. There won't be scandal. There won't be power grabs. There will just be the glory of God. Why? Because this child that is born is the prince of peace. And my friends, if you want to know peace, you've got to come to this prince. You can't come any to anyone else. You can't go anywhere else. If you want to know peace, you've got to come to this prince and surrender to him. And when you come to him, there's an indescribable welcome that you'll receive. I can't put it into words. But I can assure you, when you come to him and you receive him, the welcome that you receive, you will be given a father. You'll be given a family. You'll be given forgiveness. You'll be, you'll be given peace. You'll be given life. For the Bible says whoever has the Son has life. If you want to experience life, if you want to know what Christmas is all about, trust upon Jesus Christ. Trust upon Him. Who is this child? You've got to answer it. Who is he? Well, I'll tell you the word of God says very plainly. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know him as such?
Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.